Our comfort is this. Our God is not ashamed of us. Let us never be ashamed of him either. Amen. Some of you might remember when this happened. This is a picture of Interstate 35W way up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Happened in August of 2007. The bridge collapsed and it killed 13 people. And they found, after they researched it, that one of the metal plates that was holding the beams and girders together underneath, it was too thin. It was too weak to support all the weight that had been added on since the 1960s when it was originally built. And so, they, the, the bridge lasted 40 years, but it's got to last a lot longer than that if you want a bridge to be worth its while. Now, if the architect who designed that same bridge would come to you and say, hey, I'd like to build something for you, whether it's a house or a bridge, would you want him to build it? Probably not. No, not a chance, I'd say. That, that's a faulty design. Your reputation's shot. You can go work for someone else, but not for me. And I feel like I know that some people treat God that way like a faulty architect. They look at the way that God has designed their lives or the lives of other people around them and they say, no way, God, that's a faulty design. There's no way that'll work. I better just, tr- just trust me, myself, and I. And then that got me to thinking about the Israelites when they were in Babylon. Think of all the things that had happened to them their beloved city, their beloved temple in Jerusalem, destroyed. The families, their families and their loved ones separated, some killed. They're dragged off to a foreign land, the Israelites being dragged off into Babylon. And all of those things, God not only let them happen, but he planned them to happen. He planned all of these things as a way to deal with Israel and the way that they were treating God, the way that they were living their lives. And so now these people are in slavery. They're in captivity in Babylon and they're supposed to trust the God that planned it all? really doesn't make sense, does it? But there's a miracle because there are still people in Babylon, Israelites, that trusted God. We're going to hear about three of them today, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My hope is that all of us can go home saying that I can trust God, that we can all trust God, even and especially when life seems like a crumbled mess around you. So we're in Babylon. It's modern-day Iraq, and God has, again, let this nation come in and take over Israel and take them into captivity for 70 years. But when they first got there, there was a special group of young men, all around 20 years old, that were chosen for special service under King Nebuchadnezzar. The special service included a special diet, special learning, special services, and special positions in the administration of the government. Included in that group was Daniel, who wrote the book of Daniel. We hear about him in the lion's den later. And his three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jump ahead to Daniel chapter 3. And Nebuchadnezzar has built this giant statue of gold, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. And he's built it so that everyone in the kingdom can worship his Babylonian gods the way he wants them to. And he builds it and he says, everyone is going to bow down and worship this statue. And if you don't, 
you're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace and killed immediately. So the music plays. Everyone bows down and Nebuchadnezzar is happy as can be until he gets a report from some of his advisors. And his advisors say, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't, they didn't bow down. And that's where we pick it up here with verse 13 of Daniel chapter 3. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You could say that everything in these young men's lives looked like a crumbling mess. Just think of all that list of everything that happened to the Israelites and now you add on top of it the most powerful king that the world has ever known to this point is standing in front of them, threatening with death if they don't bow down and worship this God, this statue. And Nebuchadnezzar thinks it's really a, a silly thing. He's confused. He's perplexed. Why, why, don't these, why don't these guys obey me? Why don't they listen to what I'm saying? Don't they realize that I'm going to kill them if they don't do what I say? But notice, he's already giving them a second chance. He's already backing off a little bit because I think he doesn't want to really lose these prominent, promising Jewish men that could really do something in his kingdom. And he's so serious about it because he asks at the end, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Just imagine all that pressure weighing down on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What would be going through your head if you were in their shoes? You know, I, I wonder if I could just bow down a little bit, but not really mean it in my heart. Uh, I think God would be okay with that. I can always ask for forgiveness later, right? I mean, God says to serve him and worship him only. I know, I know, but my life is on the line here. I've got to save my own skin. And it sounds familiar to us, not because we're forced to bow down to 90-foot-tall statues or we stand in front of a, a crazy king who's going to kill us, but we have things in our lives that try to draw us away from our God. Just live the way the world lives, right? You can always ask for forgiveness later. I mean, in today's society, it's so hard to live, to be, to live as a Christian. The world is so anti-Christian, and if I say that I love Jesus, if I say that I'm a Christian, if I confess my faith, people are going to think I'm weird. People are going to hate me. People are going to maybe kick me out of their friendships or their families. I don't want that. Do you see how quickly emotions and feelings can get in the way of our God? So easily we can push God out of the driver's seat, say, getting back because I'm the only one who knows how to live in this modern society. And it's by keeping a low profile, especially about Jesus. 
But the truth is, friends, when we become ashamed of Jesus, when we deny Jesus, no matter where we are, it's not just something that God slaps us on the wrist for. It's something that kills our faith. It's spiritually devastating. So we need to be careful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are very careful in how they react to Nebuchadnezzar's threat. Verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even though the world around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked like it was crumbling down, they know and they show that you can trust God to make you strong. They knew this battle wasn't theirs. They knew they didn't have to defend themselves because God was on their side. It's not their choice whether they live or they die. It's not even Nebuchadnezzar's choice whether they live or die. It's God's. He's in their driver's seat. They understand that God is going to make the best decision that he can make. And so as scared as they might be, as petrified and knees knocking together, they say in front of the most powerful king of the world, nope, Jesus has got this. Students with us here today, would you be able to do that in front of a powerful ruler threatened with death? I mean, they were able to push aside all their emotions, all their feelings, all their thoughts running through their head and running through their heart. And they say, no, Nebuchadnezzar. There's no way they would praise a king to defy God. They wanted to praise God by defying a king. How, how did they get to be so defiant? How did they get to be so confident about God? How did they know who God was and what God would do? They knew that the strength that was in them, it wasn't, it wasn't theirs. They didn't have to rely on their own. They knew that God makes people strong because they knew about God's track record. They knew about the God who had delivered the nation of Israel from the nation of Egypt and brought them out of slavery. They knew of the God who provided for, that, for those people as they wandered through the wilderness. They knew of the God who won so many battles over so many kings as Israel went into the promised land. They knew stories like shepherd boy David defeating Philistine war hero Goliath with nothing but a small stone and a slingshot. They knew that God could be trusted. They knew that God could make them strong. So when you stand in front of the anti-Christian world and all of its worldviews and your thoughts and emotions, you say, I'm a Christian and I'm, I'm not ashamed. I love Jesus. Sometimes you can feel pretty foolish. But the only reason it feels that way is because you forget about God's strength. You forget whose strength matters. You forget whose opinions matter. 
You forget whose feelings matter. It's so hard to push back on all of those sinful thoughts and sinful desires that our our sinful natures tell us to look at the surrounding world and our emotions and what other people tell us about God, but we can push back. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show us how to push back and it's with God behind us helping us push and push and push. But that doesn't always mean that the world is going to react the way that we want them to. Look at how Nebuchadnezzar reacts. Verse 19 on the bottom of page 7. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I think you can safely say that Nebuchadnezzar just snapped here. He's completely lost it. He's done with second chances. He's done with Mr. Nice Guy. He doesn't care if he loses prominent, promising Jewish men or the strongest people in his kingdom. He needs these disobedient Israelites dead. And so he makes an outrageous order to to have the fire stoked to seven times hotter than what it normally is. And the strongest of the strong men in Babylon tie the ropes around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's feet and hands. And so down they go into the furnace with no hope of rescue. The foolishness of these Christians has really cost them their lives. The heat, the intensity that we feel from the hatred of Christianity and of Jesus in this world is scary. It's something that makes us shudder back in fear. And it's especially scary when we feel like we're bound hand and foot and can't do anything about it. We read and we hear and we see stories about Christians across the world being tortured and killed just because they're Christians. And we sit here feeling bound hand and foot because all we can do is pray God, why don't you save them? God, are you really powerful enough? Can you be trusted if you're going to let us get thrown into a furnace? Satan can really easily, very easily, lead us to ask those questions about God, to doubt God's trustworthiness. And it's not just about things happening across the globe, it's things happening in our own lives. The hardships pile up and the world seems to crumble down. And Satan loves when he can get us into that mindset. So if a Christian husband, a Christian wife, a mother, a father wants to be a good Christian example and live according to the way God wants them to, the devil's going to put something in their life to keep them from doing it. Could be financial strife could be emotional strife, could be a death in the family, could be a sickness, anything. 
the devil's going to try his hardest to put up a hardship for you, to keep you from living out your Christian life. If someone loves to tell someone about Jesus, they're gonna, the devil's going to put up a roadblock in front of them to keep them from getting that good news out. And so as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show that they are fully relying on God and his strength, the devil puts up one of the biggest roadblocks he can think of here. But we know that this roadblock was taken care of, not by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but by God himself. Verse 24 on the top of page 8. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. As Nebuchadnezzar sat and stewed over this unbelievable act of, of treason, really, that had been shown to him, his eyes are opened, and he sees something even more unbelievable. Not only are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not dead, but they're unbound and they're unharmed completely, walking around in the furnace. And there's a fourth guy who just came out of nowhere. He might look like an angel. We're not sure exactly what he looked like, but Nebuchadnezzar said he looks like a son of the gods. And so what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had said had come true. God had the right answer. Even though they looked weak as they, and helpless and foolish as they fell to their death in the furnace, how much more foolish do you think Nebuchadnezzar felt as he went to the opening of the furnace and said, Hey, guys, come back out. I want to talk to you. That's how God shames the wise and shames the strong. He chooses the weak things. He chooses the foolish things according to the world to shame the strong and the wise of the world. And so when we feel weak, when we feel foolish for being Christians and confessing Christ, we can stand firm and know that God will deliver his angels to us. That is a very important part of God's track record. This story is included as part of God's track record for us. We look back on the history of Israel throughout the whole Bible, but there's more to it than that, isn't there? God wanted to show how trustworthy he is throughout all time and so he sent his son to this world so that we can trust him to not only make us strong but to keep us safe. You can trust Jesus to keep you safe because Jesus went to hell for you so you wouldn't have to. Jesus suffered on the cross and God forsook him. God completely left him alone. He abandoned him so that God would never abandon you. 
Jesus came into the furnace of life and lived it for you. So no matter what your hardship is, Jesus comes to you and unties whatever is holding you down. It says, don't worry, you're safe. I love you. There's even a thought that when Nebuchadnezzar says that the fourth person looks like a son of the gods, the grammar could actually say the fourth looks like the son of God. How cool of a thought is that? Jesus coming down, taking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in his arms and saying, don't worry, you're safe. I love you. The power of sin, death, and the devil are completely void and null for those who are in Christ. God's track record is pretty extensive and it reaches even outside the Bible. I only have to look back a couple years to 2007, or 2011, excuse me, the spring, spring of 2011. And I was on my way home to Michigan with four friends from our college of ministry up in Minnesota. And we piled into the car for the final stretch from Indiana to Michigan, and I offered to drive. All right, so the five of us got into the car, and no sooner than one mile into the state of Michigan, I hit a patch of black ice, and the Jeep began to skid back and forth, and we careened into the wheels of a semi next to us. That sent us spinning and spinning into the median. We hit something, rolled over one complete time, and landed on our wheels right side up. It only took about five seconds, I think. (laughs) Felt like a lot longer. But as soon as we got out of the car, even though none of us had touched our cell phones, there was already a police siren within earshot. A couple seconds later, the officer pulled up, got out of the car, and asked if we were all okay. And to our amazement, we looked. Yeah, we're all okay. Nothing but a one kind of small scratch on the shotgun passenger's arm. As soon as we answered that question, though, the officer looked perplexed. Not because we weren't hurt, but he started counting. And he said, five... Where's your sixth? Now I'm confused. <laughs> Sir, we, we don't have six with us. We only had five. Two in the front, three in the back. There's no room for a sixth person. You can check. Now he's even more confused and says, the, the phone call that came in said that there was another person, another man that ran from the scene into the woods. Does that ring any bells for you? No? Nope. Sorry, we can't be of any help there, officer. All right. So we, got, we went through all the paperwork and stuff that we had to go through and got home safely that night, went on with our lives. But a few weeks later, as I was talking with one of the friends who was in the crash with me, he said, you know, Lucas, call me crazy, but I think that sixth person was an angel. Look at that windshield. This is a picture of the vehicle that we were in. Look at how many cracks are in that windshield. Wouldn't you think that that would collapse in when we hit, when we impacted upside down, right into our face? Wouldn't you think that the windows that were no longer there would have blown in and not out like they did? The whole cabin of the car was actually fairly intact and all but 
one little cut, we were safe. It's because of the words of Psalm 91. God sent his angels to protect us. They're in, their, they're in your bulletin and on the screen. Let's read those together. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you will make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. These words must have been going through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's minds as they fell into the furnace and they were sure going through my mind after my friend brought that up. That's how God works. God always sends his angels to us. It just depends on what they're going to do with you. Either the angels will deliver you from physical harm, whether it's a fire or a car crash, or they'll come and carry you home to Jesus in heaven. Both are great deliverances from the power of death. The only difference is the second one lasts forever. That deliverance is yours. And it's won for you by Jesus on the cross through all of his suffering and through his perfect life. It's all yours. So someday you can look forward to God's angels delivering you, carrying you home to Jesus. One reason I think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered in this way, in this story, was so that they could live as beacons of light and love and power, the power of God in the land of Babylon. When Nebuchadnezzar saw them alive and saw them delivered, he declared what he couldn't deny. In the closing verses of Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar makes a new decree that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the only God who is able to save his people. What a wonderful response that we can have in our lives as we meet hardships, as we meet trials in our lives. God is the only God who can save us. So you can trust God that he will continually strengthen you with his word and that he will always keep you safe in his arms. Amen.